Welcome to Feeling Asia in a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. I'm Youngmi Mayer. And I'm Brian Park. Youngmi. Yeah? <laughs> what is it, Brian? <laughs> what is it? We have a very <laughs> awesome guest this week that I'm super excited to have on the podcast. Uh, everyone, yeah. she is a licensed therapist at BetterHelp. Please give a warm welcome to <laughs> Hesu Joe. That was me, but thank you so much uh, for having me. I'm really excited to be yeah, on the show. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when people hype themselves up. Yeah. You got to woo for yourself because otherwise, who, who's going to woo for you if you don't woo for yourself is Truth. what I say. That is some sound advice right there. <laughs> Hey, Sue, thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm, I'm, like I said, really excited. I've been a listener of the show for a long time, so I'm kind of starstruck, Aww. but also just trying to keep it together. <laughs> I feel like I feel scared that you heard all of our like quacky advice that we're just like, when we talk about stuff, I'm always like, I don't know what I'm talking about. Nobody take my advice. And you're an actual like therapist. You, yeah, <laughs> you're the real deal. See, young me and I, we play <laughs> pretend, and you are the big leagues. You are the professional. I mean, what what more real so, advice can you get than from a real person, right? And I think you know, therapists wow. really aren't wow. supposed to provide you with advice or like decision making points. It's more mm. about helping you figure it out yourself because you are the expert of your life. Yeah. Wow. wow. Thanks for also thanks for saying that because I obviously Brian and I go to therapy and we are very you know we're always like trying to get every want to do therapy but i feel like a lot of people that don't go to therapy don't actually understand that part like that part that you just said yeah it's not you're gonna go and someone's gonna tell you what to do you know and i think even some people that right. have been to therapy have had i mean this is like my opinion like some poor experiences with therapists that really do tell them what to do and tell mm. them what decisions to make with right. like huge pivotal moments in their lives and then they go away from that thinking that that is what the therapy is supposed to be like right. so right I remember when I first started seeing yeah. a therapist, I would beg her, just tell me what to do. Right. Tell me <laughs> what is wrong with me. I don't want to have to figure it out by myself. You were, <laughs> while you're wearing like a leash and like a ball <laughs> gag in your mouth. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Spank yeah. me. <laughs> Young me, how are you wait, feeling? Wait. Yeah. Wait, before I, can I plug the product that they did not pay me to plug, but I really like this product. Can I just say I like something? I don't, you know, what, this is my podcast. I'm going to do it. So, you know how everyone's wearing masks? I, 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 I did not, you know, on Twitter, people are so mad at people for not wearing masks, but, but yeah, I hope everyone's wearing a mask. I just bought this mask from Bagu and it's the best mask ever. Go right now. Stop the podcast. Or you can do, you can, you know, multitask. Bagu.com and get the mask. It's so comfortable. It's so good. That's all I'm going to say. And then Brian and I, we had, we had to Google it to make sure that the founder was Asian because we thought it was like a fake Asian brand, but she is a quarter Japanese, which counts. I, I will just say that these Bagu masks <laughs> are very colorful and very hip. And Look at them. I have a mental block where if a mask looks cool. I immediately assume yeah. it's not a good mask. And no, but they're really thick and they have a pocket for a filter if you want to do that. Yeah, they're really good. <laughs> I thought you were going to say there's like a pocket them. for your keys. This <laughs> is like a flap. For you, there's, a pocket. <laughs> <laughs> there's a pocket for your jewel. <laughs> I just put my jewel in there that I don't even have to. 
<laughs> take my mask off ever. <laughs> All right. Um, so how am I feeling? Um, so I just wanted to, I know I brought this up bit, like briefly a, a little bit ago, I think. But, uh, you know, I work I work at Mission Chinese now um, and we're just doing takeout and delivery. And I uh, it's not really bothering me and I don't know why, but I am like inundated with racist prank calls all day long what it's so out of hand i don't know if this is how i don't ever remember this happening you know like the last time i really worked there was probably like six or seven years ago can you give an example um, like what is an example of a prank call that you received i I told you i got a ching chong bing bong oh someone just screaming (laughs) that damn there's some hatred behind that when they when they say bing bong they they mean business <laughs> Actually, I'm not gonna lie. I, I've ca- I keep telling people this, but the bing bong part made me laugh. I've never heard that. Part. <laughs> um, it's funny and fucked and up. It's funny. I'm gonna start calling people bing bongs. Is that right? And I think that's the little like pink elephant in the the movie Inside Out. Oh, I think his name is Bing Bong. Inside Out. His name is Bing Bong. <laughs> Yo. I love Bing Bong. That made me cry so hard. The Bing Bong death. Yeah. The death of the bing bong. Um, okay, spoiler alert. And then somebody also... So yeah, I ruined that eight-year-old movie for you. Um, also, what else did somebody say? Somebody said, do you... Ha- you know, like, I get, like, do you have bat? But, what? um... Oh like, how much is a bat? I, I got, like, some some guy was like, how much is a hedgehog? I was like, that's, that's like, really out there. That's some... You're really yeah. creative. Um, <laughs> but then I get a lot of, uh, you know, a really, oh, oh my God. Oh my God. Yesterday night, somebody called and said, I'm so sorry, but your whole family's dead. And I think it was like a, like a COVID Chinese person thing. Like that's what he meant. What? Like, I'm sorry. Your whole family has died. They what were, are, it, and wh- I was like, I mean, I'm trying to understand. Tr- uh, right. Right. Like this entire time yeah. you're telling me what's going on. And I'm like trying to understand what would compel someone to do this. But if well, they're not smart. Right. A lot of them a sound racist like children. Idiot. You're. Yeah. You know, you're not. You're just not smart. <laughs> and then I always look at the area code. So far, I've gotten Colorado, Connecticut. <laughs> oh. Um, like since I've been taking note. Yeah. Surprise. This surprise. is racism that's traveling yeah, across everywhere. state lines. Kentucky. Um, I got New Jersey. Yeah, they're all over. They're so from they're all making over. Efforts to and find your a lot phone of them number for this restaurant to do this, like. Yeah. <laughs> and the ones that bother me, the ones that bother me, though, are sometimes they'll be like, hey, you have to come down. I'm locked in your bathroom or whatever. So they're like trying to fuck with like what they think is like an old Chinese person, you know, or being like, hey, come outside like your the water hose is broken or something. And I'm like, bro, like people aren't allowed in the restaurant. You idiot. It's a pandemic. Like, I don't know where you live, but you don't you don't even do your research. And so it's bo- it bothers me to know that they're doing this to like old Chinese people. But it's gotten I'm not I'm not exaggerating. Yesterday, I got three. And oh, and then somebody that works. I was like, I can't do anything. I I don't know if I should say this. I'm not going to do anything because I'm the owner. But (laughs) somebody that works there, she was like, I'm this is so upsetting. I'm going to post their phone number. Oh, this person is a racist. And she posted it in her stories. Oh, fuck. And she she has like 30,000 Instagram followers. And I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, so then I was like, what if we just started texting and being like, hey, I don't know if you're a kid, but like we have the 
empowered to post you onto like a hundred thousand follower Instagram account, and then you should ask your parents what's going to happen if we do that. That's just like you scare some kids. Do that, right? <laughs> I'm not going to do that, Brian, because but it would be fun to do that. And you should call them and be like, "Hey, you should check your Instagram, bro, and see what notifications you're getting because we just put your ass on Front Street, motherfucker." But it's just like. You know, I, some of them are full-blown adults, and it's it's just it makes me sad right. for, you know, I I have a certain amount of privilege in in so that like my restaurant is like, you know, it's not like what people think of when they when they are being so racist to Chinese people. Yeah, yeah. And like the restaurants that we see that are just like American Chinese restaurants that are just like immigrant people that are working really really hard. Right. And they're for some reason getting so much abuse. And I feel so bad for, you know, it doesn't bother me because I'm like, it doesn't hurt me personally. It just makes me upset for those people like the Chinese Americans that are living here that are getting harassed to death right now. And it's it's so bad. It's like the harassment towards the Chinese American community. Obviously, we all know we're we are all three of us are Korean, but racists don't know that that's a different thing than China. So they attack us, too. And you know if my my re- my reaction to that is never to say i'm not chinese because it doesn't that's not you know because it, it implies that if you are chinese you deserve that which you do not you absolutely do not deserve mm. that but um it's just it's sad it's like attack an attack on our kind and it makes me feel sad but then also it makes me feel super bonded with other asians whether they're east asians chinese south asians southeast asians i'm like we're all you know and also you know in the bigger picture makes me feel even more bonded to black americans and black people yeah so that's just on my mind how, how about you brian how are you feeling this past week i binged this documentary series on netflix called lennox hill and uh-huh. it's a documentary that follows four doctors that work at lennox hill hospital in new york city and that Ooh. show has basically that show made me cry so fucking much and it's making me question what are, what is the motive of my pursuit in a, a of a career in entertainment like i've touched on this before in previous episodes but i think it's really getting strong this feeling that i have because in contrast like you there are people in comedy specifically who are being outed as sexual predators and it makes Uh me question like why like it's show it's been shown time and time again that people like people who work in entertainment they're narcissists they like they're just like shitty people and who have a tendency, like a lot of times they will like abuse their power. And uh, seeing this show about these four doctors, especially like because they work in New York, it was so incredible because like we ride the same subways as these people, but their day is wholly in service to helping others. And uh, seeing that Mm. in action really, really just moved something in me. And it's in a way it's made me feel i guess insecure about just my work in general entertainment and it's making me feel that it's very selfish and self-indulgent and Mm. i feel a little bit of regret that i didn't end up pursuing a career in medicine but then at the same time Mm. i'm 
feel that maybe in the next 10 years I want to I just know that I want to pursue something in healthcare um, whether it is as a therapist or as right. uh, as a physician or a surgeon yeah I don't know I think it's ma- it's made me really this past week I've really come to terms with the way I see my life unfolding in the next 20 30 years I uh-huh I just want to do acts of service I just want to do honest work where I know that I'll be able to sleep well at night knowing that I spent most of my day um, in service to others. And I think especially lately in comedy and like what we're doing, I feel like a lot of mm-hmm. the, the things that preoccupy my, preoccupy my mind are very frivolous. Like we're talking, we're having these discussions about like what's cancel culture? Who's getting canceled? They're getting canceled for this. And I'm like, ah, this is like occupying so mm. much brain space. And I really don't know. It, it just seems so trivial compared to all the other things that are yeah. going on in this world. And so, yeah, I guess right now I just feel like I want to, um, I just want to do more acts of service and uh, lend myself more because I feel like up until now I've been very um, self-indulgent and selfish in ways. And like the stuff yeah. that I've been doing in acting <clears throat> and comedy, I can convince and justify to myself that they have this, um, this greater purpose or this greater impact but ultimately at the end of the day I, it still feeds like ego that i possess well i feel like you say stuff like this a lot but i don't know i mean I, this is so ex- this is so interesting because who's <laughs> here and she's like a real therapist but right. like like what i hear is like i don't know it sounds like you don't see the value in entertainment and you see a lot of value in the medical profession yeah something i think kind of? i think something yeah, yeah. shifted in especially in quarantine where mm. uh, the work that we're doing is become abundantly clear that it is quote unquote non-essential. And, and nobody likes it. <laughs> <laughs> no, everyone hates comedy. Right. They're like all whereas, of you are terrible people. <laughs> whereas I think, um, you yeah. know, medicine is arguably the most essential right now. But you know, I've said this to you before. Sorry, sorry for interrupt, but I've said this to you before, but I always feel like there are the things that you were saying that you dislike about uh the entertainment industry that i feel like exists everywhere you know like we're talking about all the people at the top being like predators and like and like abusive and stuff like that i I could see that happening and all but i mean i think what you're saying is like just a day-to-day they're like being a doctor you're literally seeing the good work you you put into the world happen or something right right i i I mean it's person to person i think for me it's just with the things that i've been doing they just have felt very selfish and so i you know when i go back to new york depending on how the quarantine situation pans out i've been like i've reached out to a few mentorship programs and i definitely want to do more volunteer work i hear so much of that from you i feel like that's something that's been going through your head a lot yeah but also (laughs) yeah i mean um i don't know that's just what's going on with me but you know what I want to say, though? This is what I was thinking when you were talking about that, though. It's interesting that you were watching a show about doctors. Mm-hmm. Right. Like a show. Well, it's a doc. Like, you, like it's a that's that's how... Oh, document. I know it's a documentary, but that's how you had this idea. Like, it's like you were oh. g- like getting entertained by a, <laughs> a documentary, which is a show, which is right, technically right. entertainment. <laughs> right, right. And that's how you saw, you know... 
is it the question is like did you want to be the doctor in the documentary or do you want to be the doctor just you know just a doctor that no one's watching on tv which is i'm not saying that that's what you want but like no it's that is a good point um and it is somewhat ironic i i feel that i've always had this interest in healthcare but because when i was younger my parents pushed me so hard to work in it it was just like a knee-jerk yeah. reaction that came from me where I was like, fuck you, stop telling me what to do, I'm going to rebel and go become a comedian. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think I just gained more life experience and perspective and I'm kind of like have my tail between my legs and sort of coming to terms with the fact that, you know, maybe my parents were, they, they knew things that I didn't know and they had my best interest in mind and I just, right. I can concede that. It just took me a little bit yeah. longer That's to so come to terms with that. And, you know, I'm not, it's not good or bad. I'm not well, placing a value judgment on it. It's just, yeah, right now, that's how I feel. You know what I always say, Brian, you have, you have a bunch of time. You don't have to worry about that. But enough about us. Hey, Sue, how do you feel? How are you feeling? Um, how do I mean, you right feel? in this moment, I've just been absorbing everything you're saying. And like, I have some thoughts in reaction to that. Like this thing that young me's talking about <laughs> feels relevant, Ooh, right? Yeah. It's like. I do think that our lives, you know, everybody is going to try to find some kind of meaning, try to find some kind of purpose. I think that is behind a lot of what motivates us to do anything. And I've kind of right. concluded yeah. in my very short career, just by all the people that I've talked to in terms of colleagues and clients, I do think that we all share something universal, which is like, we're trying yeah. to find what we're good at so that we can share it with other people. And so that's kind of what I've latched onto as meaning, purpose, value in my life. And, you know, those right. that work in healthcare have identified that they have some kind of skill set or some kind of inclination that leads them to being very good at doing this thing. But I think those in entertainment have right. also found something that they're very good at and they're sharing it with other people. When you think about like depression times or recession, even um, movie ticket sales, they go up, right? Like people are watching more TV shows. Mm. They're like tuning into more podcasts, like all this stuff I think speaks to how important entertainment is for a lot of people because it's not that like you use it to ignore all the responsibilities and the big stuff happening in the world, but I do think it's uh, a way to cope with stuff, you know, especially with comedians. There's this yeah, like, that's relatable universality point, like, that comes up on stage. And I love going to stand up comedy shows. There's like a small club in San Jose. Yeah. And obviously I haven't gone in a few months, but. You know, when I leave right. the show, it's always like, I feel different. I feel like somebody sees me based on the stuff that they were saying. Like, I do think mm -hmm. comedians do a lot of really important social commentary. They say a lot of stuff that many other people are afraid to say because now they have this permission to talk about it because they're on stage and it's what people are expecting. Like, right. say the stuff that I'm feeling, but I feel like I'm not allowed to talk about with my coworkers or whatever it is. So right. I, I do think... <laughs> right. Um, this is a time for a lot of people that are getting very introspective, especially those that are now even maybe they left their primary habitat and they're living at home with their family and they're no longer practicing this thing right. that they've done on the regular. It makes sense to start questioning whether uh -huh. it's valuable or not because you're just like not investing much into it right now. Um, 
So those are some of my thoughts there, but it, it is a theme. Like I'm, like I said, I'm a regular listener of the show. So I very much know you've been wanting to maybe go back into this world of healthcare. Um, but I think it is important, like for those of us that are sheltering in place, like, and we're finding that we're going back and forth between these huge life decisions. It's like, are you leaning towards that because of circumstance? Like, is it because you can't access your regular mm. life right now? So you think you got to make a change because somehow you're not quote unquote essential. Like, I don't know if that's truly what's going on mm. there. Um, wow. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess my compromise Whoa. is when I go back to New York, uh, that's why I signed up for these community outreach programs just to, you know, see how yeah. I feel when I use my time in a way that's in service to others yeah, I think that's and just follow that feeling yeah that's super important to do wow. and like before I decided to take this road to becoming a therapist it was a lot of exploration you know doing some of this doing some of that because as a kid I didn't know what therapy was I didn't know people like this existed right and then even in the field you know it's it's still mm-hmm. hard to see people that look like me that are doing this and right so that's a whole other thing. But um, going back to that question of how do I feel, I feel like I'm all over the place. You know, like the past few months have been a whirlwind mm-hmm. for everybody. Um, I do work in quote unquote essential service, right? Like I work in behavioral health care um, and it's an yeah. online platform. I work for this big online counseling company and we were positioned to go remote quite easily you know we all work from our computers all day so it was quite easy to make this transition to work from home when it comes to technology the infrastructure of the company um but i myself you know i've had my ups and downs i've had my moments i've had like these you know emotional breakdowns which i'm sure everybody has been going through here and there you know you do Mm -hmm. your big cry you do your whole existential thing of like am i doing what i really want to do like i'd rather just like drop everything go to some deserted island and also have the means to make sure that people can serve me the food that i want the things that i need Right. And then, you know, and then yeah. I also flip around. It's like, God, I'm so fortunate to still have my job. I'm still, you know, feeling right. blessed that there are people out there that still recognize this service as something that they might need, even during a time like this. Like, people are still investing mm-hmm. into their mental health, which has been very inspiring. Like, the number of people looking for these online That's services great. has blown up, you know. And so it's been keeping the folks in my company extremely busy. So other times I have to, like, mm-hmm. remind myself of gratitude right it's like i'm super busy with work but i'm I'm glad for that you know i'm glad that i don't have to worry about paying my bills and i don't have to worry about a lot of these life necessity and like basic needs being met um so it's like mm-hmm. feeling of feeling grateful but then also like feeling guilty sometimes about that because i'm seeing other people that are struggling so much or like and then also mm. it's just on top of the pandemic, now there's this unrest in our society mm-hmm. and feeling the guilt of like being a privileged person, which I think you both have mentioned in an episode right. before too. And like, it's just a lot of push and pull conflicted feelings, like also just getting fed up with the whole situation and wishing like, why can't things go back to normal? And then recognizing like, wow, that's what privileged people yeah, say. Like, yeah. I don't know how to feel. So. Yeah. And normal. Yeah. And normal was horrible yeah, for a yeah. lot of people. It's, I feel like a lot of, I feel like a lot of Asian Americans are feeling that way because, <clears throat> because we are placed in the, a weird middle place where it was really horrible, you know, and even what I mentioned with the, all the harassment that 
Asian Americans are getting right now, like we were put in a bad place, but we can also recognize that we are we are put in our society in a better place than other our fellow POCs. And so we're in this weird place of being like, let's go back to normal. Well, yeah, that did suck. You're right. Like it's just kind of yeah. like <laughs> a weird juggling. <laughs> it's exhausting mentally. Yes. So that's how I feel. <laughs> yeah. Is like well, because I have a therapist that I really like. I've t- I've taken a little hiatus because I'm financially like a little strapped, um, but I do talk to her probably like once a month still. And I always wonder. I we I want to ask her how she's doing, and I feel like that's against the rules. <laughs> so I'm always like, "How are you?" Like I feel like she said in the past. Like sometimes she'll talk about like her husband a little mm-hmm. bit or something, and she's like, you know, like blah blah blah. I'm just like saying this so you understand that you're i'm like a real person or whatever yeah so that idea but it's weird it's called self-disclosure there's a name for it right like therapists are supposed to refrain from disclosing things about themselves there's there's tons of reasons for it but it's like from the therapist Mm. lens you're you're constantly thinking about the value of everything that's coming out of your mouth like this person is paying for this stuff that's coming out of your mouth so it better be important and it better Mm. add value to this client's life Mm -hmm. if i start going off and talking about like all these feelings that i'm having in a session with my client now all of a sudden the focus of the session is no longer my client's needs and their emotional traumas and the things that they're paying me to talk about now they're now we've yeah. flipped it around and now they're concerned with how i feel like oh geez i gotta take care of this woman right. because she's unhinged right now and it's like yeah therapists right. shouldn't yeah. be wanting that in the session it's like then you should go get your own therapist <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah no no but she she said like maybe one or two things in our entire history yeah. about her personal life and both of them i have to say have been extremely useful like she she said it because she knew it had value to my situation mm. like she gave me an example of something that happened in her relationship and it was ex- it's like something that i think about all the time and i like go back to when i'm having issues in my in my own life so yeah that makes it's sense use of that makes a lot of sense why <laughs> yeah. she said it <laughs> wow. uh, I, so inter- I feel like yeah i once told right. my therapist that i uh that i was attracted to her and then i learned all about oh. erotic transference oh, yep that's a thing oh brian <laughs> that's a thing brian am i is that really inappropriate of me or no it happens or is that an indication it sounds like it happens or is that an indication that she's doing a good job because i felt vulnerable and transparent enough to tell her that i had those feelings about her Uh, all of the above you know and and we learn about that in (laughs) grad school like of course your clients are going to fall in love with you for some of your clients you are the first person to see them to listen to them to acknowledge like all the stuff that they're talking about and help them feel like they're not a crazy person so it's like, yes, your clients, some of them will deeply yeah. come to love you. And it's because of that human <laughs> connection. So nothing is wrong with you for that have happening. Um, yeah. okay. Hey, Sue. Woo, but, I haven't hey, been Sue, able but, to sleep. But what does it, <laughs> wait, but what does it mean that I showed Brian a picture of my therapist and then he fell in love with my she therapist? She must be very what beautiful. What does that mean? Brian <laughs> 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 was like, she's so hot. I was like, Brian, Yo, I don't think that's appropriate. I can't. I, it has been so long since I have been sexual with another person that if you showed me a picture of anyone at this point, I will fall in love with them. I think you can order like some life-size pillows. Um, I think that's a thing. I always feel like my therapist, 
<laughs> an anime yeah. girl pillow brian oh my god uh, yes, once please. i went to this guy <laughs> one sailor brian, moon once i went to this body pillow <laughs> <laughs> once i guys i went once i hooked up with this guy and when i showed up and when i went to his apartment he had one of those in the bed oh his waifu <laughs> 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 I was like, all right, okay. <laughs> I still did. <laughs> Hesu, so we get a lot of, uh, Young Me and I, we get a, f- a lot of messages from our listeners and about this, and we feel that you, you know, be more apt to uh, give advice about uh, how, like for someone who has never been to a therapist before, what are the things that they should be looking for where do they even begin or like what does it mean to like find someone that's a good there like quote unquote good therapist Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. lots of loaded questions um i think you know part (laughs) of the reason that i became a therapist is because once i finally learned what it was i realized how inaccessible it is to a lot of people namely a lot of people of color you know it's like where do i even start where do i start my parents don't yeah. know anything about this, mm-hmm. so I can't ask them to make the appointment for me the way they would for my dentist or my doctor. Even then, like, I don't right. feel comfortable or safe bringing this up with my parents all the time because I don't know how they're going to react, especially in Korean culture. Mm-hmm. I think things are evolving a lot in the landscape around mental health there now. But, like, my parents' generation, when yeah. they were growing up there, you know, you you think of mental unwellness as byung, right you know it's like disease of the mind and, and <laughs> yeah, i was exposed to this idea of disease of the mind like far earlier than i found out what therapy was and like getting older connecting the dots yeah. and realizing oh my god it's the same thing like if you have anxiety if you are depressed yeah in my parents eyes you are crazy you know that's like kind of how i concluded it disease of the right mind. without ever talking yeah. to them about it so i made all these assumptions yeah. and, and and in any case when i had this like mm-hmm. pivotal moment in my life figuring out what is it that i want to pursue as a career it's like okay well now that i know what this thing is i had a big part of me that wanted to go into it to try to create more access in terms of just like awareness that it exists in a safe environment mm-hmm. for specifically Asian American people to seek out therapy. I think a lot of us raised by immigrant mm-hmm. parents are really messed up, <laughs> like mentally and emotionally for yeah. a variety of reasons. And not because our parents were trying to mess us up. It's because our parents were trying their best no. to keep us a certain way while raising us in a country yep. that they didn't understand either. Um, so they're trying to protect us going back to that question of like how do you find a therapist it's hard i think for anybody that's went out and Mm -hmm. started this search this hunt to find someone that's good it's it's overwhelming sometimes there's like all these different license types um yeah you know most people that haven't gone to grad school to become a therapist wouldn't know the difference between these license types so then you're confounded or restricted to thinking like okay well Am I supposed to have one therapist for this issue? Or if I'm experiencing five different issues, do I need to find five therapists? And does it matter if my therapist is a mm-hmm. woman because I'm a woman? Like, do they need to be a person of color because I am? Like, all these questions will come up. Yeah, and yeah. Right. At the end yeah. of the day, I think you just got to try somebody. And if you have health insurance, you can start with your insurance panel to see who's serving on that panel because then you can get at least some of it covered by insurance. There's probably going to be a copay. Mm-hmm. If you have subsidized health care, um, like Medicare, for example, then you can look into what's available to you there. There's a lot of subsidized care in terms of free of cost to the client, but it's usually limited to like a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. So you can also 
just tune into the internet. The internet gives us so much resource to so many things. Um, and that includes like these large directories of therapists that right. can search by zip code even. Um, so there's like opencounseling.com, psychologytoday.com. These are huge directories for finding somebody. And I think right now it's probably mm-hmm. going to be pretty difficult depending on where you are to find somebody to meet face-to-face. And so that's another like mm-hmm. thing going on. Like this pandemic has thrusted a lot of traditional therapists into tel- teletherapy. Like if they want to keep paying their bills, then mm-hmm. they had to evolve in the past like three months, right? Um, so right. Mm-hmm. now that that is a much bigger option for people, I would I would say that if you're looking to talk to somebody, start by researching something online. Just going to Google and and writing like writing in like therapy. New York City, like something like that uh-huh. is gives you an idea of where to start, I think. Um, there's so many different license types. Right. And I'm here to tell you that most of the time that doesn't matter. Like most of these license type people oh. are qualified mm. and educated to be your therapist. If what you're experiencing are, to me, pretty common human condition issues like anxiety, depression, adjustment, like right. changes in the family, grief. Um, most license types, mm-hmm. like I said, have learned how to treat all this kind of stuff and I think right giving yourself room to know that you might need to try a few different therapists until you find the right one and and there was a question of like how do you know who the right one is I think a big thing is just tuning into yourself like do you feel safe with this person if you don't feel safe are you in love with them (laughs) that might come up later yeah but if you don't feel safe are they hot I would say get out you know so it's it's hard to right. d- yeah. like dive into your deepest yeah. darkest thoughts and feelings if you don't feel safe to do that. Um, like therapists yeah. are people too, and as much training as we go through, yeah. we have implicit you know biases also, and this will come out in session. Yeah. And I don't think it's ever right. the burden or responsibility of a client to educate their counselor if their therapist counselor therapist is just like kind of totally missing the boat when it comes to who you are as a person mm. in terms of like race that could be part of it yeah that could be part of it or um because i know that, yeah because yeah. you know i you know so this is the thing i know you through your mm-hmm. sister and i met your sister and we were talking about you and she said that she was like oh you know i love your podcast and my sister is a therapist and she is like not her actual role at better help but her one of the things that she wants to do is to really work on finding more POC therapists for that community because people in that community really need more more therapy by people who know exactly what they're going through whether you're like black you you really you deserve a black therapist if you're Asian you deserve an Asian therapist in a way not you don't always have to have the same race therapist but it's like so much easier to not have to explain everything you know it's like what we were saying like when you hang out with your asian friends or your black friends and you're like you just say that you know when white people (laughs) do this and everyone just understands what you're saying and they're they're like oh yeah oh yeah and then sometimes you'll say that in front of a white person and they're like what you know (laughs) but like my therapist that having been said my therapist is white and she totally gets it but my friend my good friend she's asian and she was telling me about how a lot of times she'll have to explain stuff to her therapist and her she'll just you know she'll say something like you know when your mom does this and like me and her when we're talking we'll just be like yeah but then her therapist will be like what does that mean i've never 
heard of that you know just anything like that and so then her session a lot of her session was becoming her mm-hmm. explaining cultural things to her therapist you know before ha- reaching the point where she was getting like a therapeutic like therapeutic <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. so, pump, like whatever so from it like help therapy from it. experience yeah. was just explaining that kimchi smells bad <laughs> she's like you know when you open your lunchbox and your kimchi smells bad and the therapist is like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like, and so, um, and so I feel like when I heard that you were, Heisu, that was like a big focus of yours, I was like, oh, it like sort of like, it was like a huge epiphany to me where I was like, oh, that is something that we need. I mean, it's such and a I'm vivid I'm glad that somebody's memory. on top of uh-huh. it. Yeah, it's, it's a very vivid yeah. memory for me. My first day of grad school and I went to school in a town right next to the place that I grew up and I grew up in an Asian enclave. So um, like being in the extreme minority has not really been part of my life experience, which I'm thankful for in a lot of ways. But um, that first day of grad school, going into the room and the class was about 30 people and I was the only non-white person. And that's that's almost never happened to me in a school setting. Um, I went to a large whoa. UC, so you wow. know that's, those are very diverse. And then coming to grad school, I was like, whoa. Right. So I had to text my best friend like immediately. <laughs> I was like, girl, you won't believe. Like I am the only non-white person. And I think that experience and feeling like I've experienced it traveling in other places, but to be in a school setting where I'm used to a lot of diversity and realizing like, what have mm-hmm. I gotten myself into? Like, where am I? I'm in the Bay Area and, and there is no diversity in this classroom. And I found luckily throughout my wow. program that that wasn't the case. It was just that particular class. Um, but that like began shaping, yeah, class. this experience of like, there are barely any POC therapists and um, you know, I've had experiences of my yeah. own. I've had a lot of white therapists too. And this thing of needing to explain family dynamics to them and then them turn around and now label some of the dynamics in my family as pathology you know like saying it's dysfunctional for this way or it's abuse in this way it's like no i didn't see it that way and you're not seeing it from a culturally context type of thing you know it's like maybe what we're doing in our family doesn't make sense Mm. in in the eyes of a white person which is happening right in front of me Um, but that's not the focus of what i'm talking about i'm telling you about this thing that happened so that i could get to this other thing that's happened but you're tuning into this thing that you think is wrong because because you don't know what it is and it's like this conflicted feeling of like okay i know you're not an evil person it's just um i don't know if you're (laughs) capable this particular person you're looking you're looking at it through the white lens wow yeah it's not pathology it's k-drama Okay. Yeah, yeah, and K rage. You're like, supposed there's, to there's... cry when your boyfriend's dad works for Samsung and he won't let <laughs> he him marry you. Okay, that's what that's what happened. And then you that's... find out you have cancer. You know, it's, it's just <laughs> bone cancer, the worst kind of cancer. Wow. You know, one of my first therapists, I had an experience of what you just described, where uh, I was talking about something, and her she suggested to me. She's like, "Well, you know, why don't you just." you could just leave your parents leave your family and i was like no 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 no. yeah i don't think you understand okay i have no, asian no, no, no. parents you no. cannot do that why don't you just put your parents in a nursing home it's like uh no uh, sorry did we cut you no. off i feel like did, were you saying something else hayes <laughs> well i don't know okay. i feel like it's i was cutting you off to make a really boring joke well i was like so you said that 
Um, you're very much motivated by providing access to these uh, traditionally underserved communities when it comes mm -hmm. to the realm of mental health. And uh, you know, from your time, from your experience, like practicing, do you think there are certain issues or like themes that come up more frequently? Uh, within Asian American communities, like I don't know if you're totally disclose that or yeah, um, getting like, hit. I started my career Sorry. that that thing of <laughs> wanting to work with underserved communities. It manifested in the beginning of my career as going into like inner city clinics, meaning mm. most of my cl mm -hmm. clients were people of color, but most of them were not Asian. They were yeah. like Latino. Mm -hmm. um, a few black clients would come in, but that's another thing. Mental health and mental health service is very much stigmatized, excuse me, in the black community. And there's a lot of reasons for this, and I know that's not the focus of this podcast, but in any case, I, I, as I have advanced in my career, I've had the opportunity to get pickier about who my clients are, and I think most therapists will tell you the same. Like, once you get into a certain point, people will come find you. And in the past few years, I've really restricted my caseload to Asian American adults. And mm. this is because this is where my heart is in, you know, like each therapist only has a capacity for so many clients because then, you know, you have to be able to take care of yourself to be effective and present. Mm -hmm. And so I've made this like concerted effort to take Asian American clients. And it's not like the only kind of client I'm interested in working with, but what I find is like the, these themes of issues that come up, they're near and dear mm -hmm. to me. So it's like easier for me to get into the headspace to work with these clients for, to help them do the work. Right. Um, yeah. As you mentioned, Brian, awesome. earlier, you didn't want to do the work because it's hard. Yeah. Um, and I think somehow accessing this motivation to do that work can be better facilitated if you feel like your therapist really sees you. Right. Um, and so some of those themes that I've definitely noticed is like, I mean, similar things to most people. I think this transcends culture, but anxiety and depression, loneliness. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. We're all lonely. It, yeah. And, and trying to navigate and understand family dynamics that mm. yeah. didn't always make sense to you as a child, which again, I think that can apply to any culture. And um, <laughs> yeah, I like your cat in the background. It's really adding to your, it's, it's like know, extra layer of soothing. Wants to be in the it's show. Like, oh, and there's a cat. In there. <laughs> yeah. And I think for, it's interesting. There are themes, of course, this doesn't apply to everyone, but you know, for mm -hmm. Asian American women, like um, cisgendered heteronormative women that come yes. into therapy, there's there's a lot of stuff that comes up when it comes to identity and figuring out how to serve one's own needs, like emotionally, mentally, physically, while mm -hmm. also attuning to, attending to the needs of their family, because you're yep. still like kind of in this limbo caught between having been raised in this very individualistic uh, society and country where you're taught uh -huh to be self-serving you know it's like yeah. self-care yeah. is not the same thing as being very selfish but in, yeah. in a korean family the idea of putting your own needs before other people is seen as yeah. a negative thing and yep. it's like you have probably a very good relationship with your parents i think a lot of korean people do they're strong in certain ways there's these connections that keep us together but there's also stuff like my parents don't yeah. know everything about me and i'm sure i don't know everything about them and that yeah. protects our relationship um that's fine and so we can i learning i'm, mm -hmm. so, I'm sorry ahead. i'm so sorry to interrupt i just don't want i i just want to say this before i forgot um you know what you just said about asian women 
Mm-hmm. Um, this is the fear I feel like for me as like an Asian woman or like a POC talking to a white therapist or white person in general. Like if I said something like right then we all got what, what you said, like you're just mm-hmm. like, you know, for Asian women, there's a certain thing. Like you want to help your family and be an individual. We can say that to each other and we'll immediately just be like, yeah. But I feel like when I say that to a white person, it, there's some sort of racist thing that happens in their head where they're like, yeah, Asian women are like submissive or like they'll, they'll use that information to turn it into like a racial stereotype and Mm -hmm. i'm always so aware of that that i can't i sometimes i feel like i can't say shit like that to my white friends do you know what i mean that's that's a driving factor for me in my career too yeah so i'm sure like yeah like i don't want my clients to like feel scared yeah and my and you know i've said stuff to my therapist before like oh you know my mom is like this but that's just cultural like that's a lot of korean women and she's in the past like corrected me and but not correct corrected is the wrong word but like said to me like you know it it might be cultural and it might be a lot of korean moms but that just might also that's just her and she's doing that to you like she's sort of like helped me you know see that and because i was like i feel like i was almost like doing that to myself you know it's like all of us asian women you Mm -hmm, know how we like mm -hmm. that or something anyway now it's (laughs) a little too abstract but yeah like just you saying that i just like i just wanted to point out that you said that all of all three of us got it and we it wasn't like a racist stereotype thing that we were saying we were just like we know that we all have those shared experiences yeah it's it's hard to navigate these conflicting cultures even there's like values that are very very much in contrast between east asian families and and a family that you'd see out here um and that's thematic i think most of my asian american clients end up bringing up their family and therapy at some point or another um and i can't say the same for other clients that i've had that are not asian oh really um, some Some people people don't bring up their their families yeah, and, and if they don't want to go there, that's fine. Whoa. I mean, that's another thing I've noticed, this thing that Brian <laughs> yeah. brought up. I have noticed that in white families, people are more willing to sever ties when they've identified something as toxic. Um, in Asian families, it's very difficult mm. to do that for, for us as kids because even if we've finally recognized that something our parents are doing is toxic, it's like... We, we condone it yeah. in a way it's like well you're from a different time you're from a different country you're from a different culture mm. I know that you're not trying to destroy me mm-hmm. where it might be different in a white family mm. where they do feel like maybe they don't have that cultural context to use as a as a reason to forgive mm. to move on yeah. um, with Asian American yeah. male clients um, Okay, so I haven't worked with any clients that are Asian, like from Asia, so I can't Mm -hmm. speak to any deep differences I've noticed there, but I certainly have some assumptions, right? And (laughs) and I think Asian American men, around our age especially, you know, we grew up in in a era where the men are painted in a very specific way in media. Like Asian Mm -hmm. Americans, manliness has been taken away from them when it comes to representation. And this is evolving now. Um, But as a kid, Mm -hmm. you know, I was a huge fan of like movies like Half-Baked and How High and like these silly movies. Um, But many of these kinds of movies do portray Asian men in a certain way. And I think that's 
deeply impactful, even for those that are trying to ignore it. Um, and just mm. like identity, the same thing of identity comes up in navigating manliness, whatever that means. And then mm-hmm. that seeps into uh, just like ideas about gender roles and where we all fit into all of this. Um, so those right. things come up. And then at the same time, it's like, that's another thing that comes up for Asian American clients that are in the LGBTQIA P plus community that come into therapy. Mm-hmm. Now there's this other layer of yeah. um, perhaps not having felt accepted or seen or understood by family, um, yeah. which might be very it's different a for thing. a white client. Yeah, so that's a whole other thing. Um, yeah. But I think just any kind of mental unwellness thing is uh-huh. probably going to be exacerbated in some kind of way if you are not part of the dominant culture in which you grew up. Um, mm-hmm. And so that kind of stuff definitely comes up, even in the yeah. Bay Area where I live. You know, it's it's a lot of Asian Americans wow. here, but we're still in the minority too. And that definitely affects people's mental wellness. Yeah, like how could oh. that not affect it? You know oh, what yeah. I mean? That's such a, that's a huge, that's like you, you like your day to day every day. Well, I also want to point out that, you know, you, you're saying that you are, choosing to work with a lot of Asian American clients now it kind of ties into what you were saying early on about Brian and like the way to help the world is to do what you're really good at right like Mm -hmm. so it's like it it does put value like you're saying as a therapist like that's what I'm good at so I'm gonna do it to help the world and like Brian was feeling like oh comedy is so useless but like if you're good at comedy you know and you're soothing all these people that's like how you help the world so and representation awesome. totally matters. Representation. I know that's like a, yep. a cliche phrase that's no, coming up so much, totally but I've does. seen yeah. like Bobby Lee on stage and, yeah. you know, that's the only name that comes up of all the various comedians <laughs> I've seen. It's like one I, out once of whatever. I saw Bobby Lee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, but even after one show, time, I felt different, you know, it's like, wow, somebody yeah, like yeah. that looks like me can be just as funny, make me laugh yeah. really hard too, and speak yeah. on issues that white comedians don't know about you know and i think there is tremendous value in entertainment and um and pursuing it for a lot of people so just being asian while doing it (laughs) (laughs) i don't know who i represent i I feel like a lot of like single moms that like like to party hit me up in the dms they're like finally (laughs) a voice (laughs) a voice to speak for all of us I'm like, yeah, <laughs> talking for the crazy single moms oh, that are yeah. also Asian. <laughs> <laughs> Which is important because that role is not represented very well. Somebody you know? like did, single somebody Asian did parents message are me. <laughs> yeah. Somebody did message me being like, I've never seen an Asian single mom. I'm like, we're out here. Yeah. Crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the non-single moms are doing that, too. I get a lot of DMs from Asians who were going to go to medical school or law school, but then decided to do something different. And they're like, yeah, oh. man, like, fight the good fight, brother. And here I am now. I'm going to betray them. You're betraying <laughs> like a traitor. them. No. Um, but as long as I you're d- authentic to who you are. Right. That's of course. Like the most important. And if people can't support you in your life yeah. journey for what you think is important to you, then maybe, you know, they're no longer serving in right. a healthy you relationship. We got to take a yeah. note from the whites and sever ties immediately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like how Brian called them the whites. Brother man, Brian. <laughs> uh Hey, Sue. So before we wrap things up here, uh, we'd like to ask you, what is something that you are proud of? 
<laughs> so even though I knew this question was coming and I'm reflecting on, I'm doing the same thing that all of your other guests have said, like, what? Asian people don't talk about that. But it's, <laughs> <No>. it's, <laughs> um, but I think there is this level of modesty or humility that's ingrained into us because boasting is, is not attractive. Right. But um, I am glad that you asked this question because I think it's important for other Asian American people to hear other Asian American people talk about the things that they're proud of. Like, and it, it really matters. So I'm glad that you asked this question. Um, the obvious answer for me is I am proud of the career that I'm building and being able to bring yeah. like awareness and a voice to mm -hmm. um, a lot of stuff that people think about and are perhaps unable to articulate because they haven't been through whatever to learn the language to label and, and, bring attention to the various things that they're going through. Um, yeah. I can't believe, like, I've had so many Asian American clients that come in and, you know, you've been in therapy, so you know, therapists will listen to you and then they'll kind of just summarize what you said, rephrase to make sure they're understanding what you said, this paraphrasing uh -huh. thing. Right. And sometimes they'll even throw in little pieces of insight or like interpretations about like, oh, it sounds like maybe this thing that you brought up is related to this other thing you've talked about last week. Ooh, yeah. um, and like with the relationship between you and your mom, you know, like throwing in those little pieces. And there's been yeah. so many times where I throw in that insight that comes from my personal experience as also being raised by immigrants. Um, oh. And that that thing that I observe with my clients of like, wow, somebody finally understood me like those are the moments that I'm very proud of to be able yeah. to tie in my personal experience to my professional track here um, mm. and know that there's value to that that there's value to my own life experience that's helping somebody else figure it out for themselves um, mm -hmm. I'm proud to be in a leadership position at a large company like BetterHelp and add this Asian face to the many people that are you know facilitating this kind of care for people yeah. Um, and just, it's, you know, like with my colleagues that I've had in the past, like getting to educate them on various things that exist within Asian American family dynamics that they need to know about if they're going to have Asian clients. Those moments mm. I've been really proud of too, because it's like, wow. how long would it have taken you to figure that out if you didn't hear this from another therapist? Um, so wow. it's a lot of stuff tied into I mean, my but career track. That's a that's amazing that you are doing that for your um, associates, colleagues. But um, <laughs> how how like that's like the that's the burden of being a POC, isn't it? It's like you have yep. to fucking teach all the whites, you yeah. know. And then and they're like, oh, I should. Yeah, that's like also kind of. But it's great that you find um, value and joy in doing that. And there's like multiple sides of that coin, right? There's a lot of people that yeah. say it shouldn't be my responsibility. It shouldn't be my mm. burden to have to teach you this stuff. You have access to all this info yourself. Educate yourself. Right. Um, but they're not going to do also, that. Right. There's, there's a lot of that. And then, and then there's yeah. folks that feel like I'm in a position to be able to educate you because you are curious. And I think yeah. really the world needs some of everybody. Um, yeah. We right, need right. to be soft. With each other. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's fair for POCs to be yeah. expected to teach white people everything. Right. Um, but for those that have mm -hmm. some kind of opportunity to do that, it's like you can pass it up and, and pass yeah. on the responsibility to that person to educate themselves. Um, or you can have this like human connection moment to help them 
with a voice of your own beyond like them reading something on Wikipedia or whatever it is that they find. <laughs> I think the le- I think what I'm hearing from all of us today is that we have value in our fields just because we have Asian faces. <laughs> We're throwing our Asian faces into the mix. And then, you know what? But that is true. Like, I can't, like, for me, hey, Sue, I feel like you're just doing the most important work right now. This is exactly what everybody needs. A right. Korean therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you're not Korean, and, and, and you I, need I, a Korean therapist. <laughs> You need a career. <laughs> and how about you personally? Are you taking any more clients in case there's anyone listening that's in your area or uh, no? So right now I'm not ask? taking any new clients. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's a very fair and valid question to ask. Uh, but I'm personally not taking any new clients right now. But I will say on BetterHelp there, I think the last time we queried this, like 24% of the therapists in our network identify as people of color. And when you look at the field Whoa, at large, we're lot. doing a lot better. And so I don't know what that means about like whether we're more attractive to therapists of color to try to engage mm. in this kind of work. Um, I do mm-hmm. know just from observation, like we are creating access, like I said, to a lot of people that would historically not even set foot into a normal traditional therapist's office. Right. Um, being able to do this from the comfort of your home, which right now is the only choice, and being mm-hmm. able to do it from your phone uh, just makes it a lot more accessible. It doesn't feel so much like you're going into the office of the man, which I think a lot of yeah. people have associated therapy with. Right. Um, you don't have to wait until you're having panic attacks every day to start looking for a therapist. You don't have to wait until you're in an abusive relationship to do that like even if you're a fairly high functioning person and you're having issues just like feeling down in the dump sometime like there's no hurt I think in looking and reaching out for support in that way Um, and I think that's another thing like uh, a stigma that can you know benefit from being broken in the Asian community Asian American community is that you don't have to be crazy to see a therapist you just Mm. need to be human And um, the idea is to find improved insight about yourself, like improve your function in relationships at work, in the things that you find important. And I think really uncovering um, the stuff that makes you feel the best that you can. And um, that means anybody can benefit from looking for a therapist. Of course, you want to find one that feels safe for you. Wow. That's awesome. Thank you so That's much. Advice. That's like amazing. Thank you amazing for having advice. me. I learned so much. Um, but yeah, thank yeah. you so much yeah. again, Hesu, for, you know, l- taking time out of your busy day to just basically <laughs> drop some hot, hot knowledge on our listeners. <laughs> and um, Youngmi, where can our listeners find you? Well, you can find me at YMMayor on Instagram and Twitter, like always. How about you, Brian? Uh, you guys can find me on Instagram and Twitter at It's Brian Park. And yeah, and Young Me and I, we have Instagram live uh, with Feeling Asian every Wednesday night. So follow our podcast page at Feeling Asian Podcast to get updates on when that'll happen. I think 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, yeah. Young Me. I think it depends on your work schedule, though. Yep. But yeah. Yeah, either... Either way, uh, if you made it this far into the episode, we just want to say thank you for your listenership. And if you can, please like and subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. See you later. Bye, guys.